Hello and welcome to 11FS Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer. In today's bonus episode, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by an absolute legend of the industry, Mr. Ashok Vaswami, who is the president at Kagaya, who I have had a number of different conversations with in the past, and they've all been incredibly enlightening. This one has a a, a, a tinge of Sanders from my perspective, Ashok, that you're you're not sat in the UK. I, I always got a, a real sense of uh, a, a, of security knowing you were here with us, moving the industry forward. But uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, David. Lovely to be with you. I'm in sunny New York. Uh, it's cold day, but it's sunny. And hey, I get to London quite often. London is still home. Very good. And very precious. Very good. You'll you'll be back. And and, and on today's show, we're we're going to be talking a little bit about Ashrock's career. Uh, take a, a a bit of a, a mini deep dive into to really what he thinks the the future of the financial services industry might be and, and what it might hold. So maybe let's just dive in. I mean, Ashrock, for for anybody who is unfamiliar with you, give us the, the the one minute pitch. What's the what's your background? Because you you've had some fantastic roles. For, for some fantastic organizations in the industry. Yeah, so uh, David, I've spent about 35 years of my life in consumer, corporate, commercial, payments kind of uh, roles. 20 years at Citigroup, 12 years at Barclays, and three years in between with a private equity firm focused on consumer services. I think the highlight is I've been really, really lucky that I've been able to spend time in countries all over the world. Uh, you name the geography, and I've kind of been there, which has been an incredible uh, privilege. And I've seen so much change in the financial services industry. You know, uh, I get excited by what is still to come uh, and, you know, hopefully bring my experience to uh, how, how firms can navigate the change. Very good. And we'll get into that in a, in a second in terms of the things that you've seen and the the, the change that uh, can, can come. But tell us a little bit more about your your current role. Then, as you say, you're you're sat in New York now uh, with a with a new role at a new organization. Tell tell us a little bit more about what they do. Oh, so Pagaya is a very interesting company. Think of it as bringing together a bunch of partners, call it banks, fintechs, neo banks, and institutional investors. And Pagaya sits on the top. Pagaya's real claim to fame is the artificial intelligence models that they've built, which allows these partner companies to make better decisions. One such use case is credit origination. So we are able to go help them approve many more customers and then transfer the economics to institutional investors, right? And as long as the return on that kind of thing is exceeding the uh, investor expectations, that flywheel kind of goes really, really nicely. So it's a real classic case of where technology is breaking down the silos of traditional, uh, the way traditionally banks are organized between consumer and the investment bank. This is really technology helping connect consumer to capital markets. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's a problem, no doubt, in your experience at City and at Barclays, you've, you've felt firsthand as well. Yes, David, that's exactly, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it. But one of the things that technology has done is actually completely disrupted the silos within which banks and financial institutions serve their customers. They are still organized by corporate and consumer, right? And that technology is kind of breaking down very quickly. 
and we can get into many such examples i think fx david is the best example right you know what is called an option in the investment bank is just an opportunity for a consumer to decide when to buy the euro to go on holiday right but yet no financial institution really delivers it as such to a consumer yeah so so i i guess talking a little bit more about your your career then and we'll we'll sort of pick off the bits in in that as as we we sort of go through i mean as you said you, you you've seen a lot of change you know you've seen a lot of shifts in different parts of businesses or different parts of a bank when you've been there or you know the industry more broadly in terms of the changes that we're seeing now with you know with fintech and with the you know the big banks really stepping up to the to to the plate now when it comes to change what would you really sort of see as the highlight there? Because there's there's so many, and I know uh, you know it's it's a it's a funny one this because me and you've talked privately on on these things a, a number of times, but seeing seeing that change is just an amazing thing in its sense. So David, it's it's actually quite incredible, right? You think about first, you think about it and say how customer experiences have changed, right? Customer expectations and customer experiences, right? Obviously, the launch of the internet and stuff like that was a big move. But I think the 2008, when Apple switched and you know tried and completely changed the ecosystem with the apps, the way mobile banking has kind of taken off is an incredible thing, right? So customer expectations, the change has been incredible, right? I think the regulatory environment has changed again quite quite massively, right? 2012, the launch, you know, the the kind of uh, FCA and the PRA in the UK and then many other countries are taking not identical but similar things like the CFPB you know being established in the US and many other such variances in different parts of the world geopolitical my god david <laughs> we <laughs> that, that ever changing thing has been really really quite crazy and then the economic cycles david right in the 70s and 80s we saw interest rates go through the roof. We saw a decade of zero interest rates and we were all wondering and scratching our heads, would we ever get out of that situation? And suddenly, suddenly in the last three to six months, we've seen, you know, two-year treasury yields go up by like 400 basis points, completely changing business models quite dramatically. So, wow, the change, you know, any dimension, David, uh, has been has been incredible. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing, as you say. There's a there's a whole generation who didn't really understand what interest rates really were because of uh, you know such a, a, a su- significant period of suppressed rates in that in that sense. But uh, so uh, I guess on on that on that note, I mean, it, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting. Uh, movie to watch in terms of that change, but but we were always sort of fascinated by financial services, or was there a you know did uh, did Ashok when you were a child did you have a a different aspiration in terms of what you wanted to be other than financial services? So David, you know when I was growing up, my uncle had a I was growing up in Bombay. My uncle had a shop in the fanciest uh, five star hotel, the Oberoi, right? And every summer holiday. And winter holiday, I was told to go and work in that shop, right? So morning to evening, I would go and we would sell material and we would do tailoring and stuff like that. And uh, that was the only hotel where all the airline crew and all used to stay. So you had these young, you know, really fun-loving kind of people. And then I would go in the evening, I'd pass the lobby 
and I'd see the hotel staff and, you know, there was always a party on in the evening. And I said to myself, man, when I grow up, I want to get into hospitality. I want to be the general manager of a hotel, right? And I don't know when it changed or the opportunity didn't come along, but I dream about it even today that had I got into hospitality, what would life have been? Well, so there's still chance, you know. There's still time. You're like, uh, there's a there's a uh, boutique hotel in the future. I'm, uh, I can imagine. <laughs> so, so what? How did that change then? And and, and obviously, um, you know, my my sort of experience with you was was at Barclays, and actually, so but you said before that you were at City for a for a long period of time. H- how did you get into Citibank? So, David, that's a very interesting story. Uh, uh, you know, in the in the days when I was growing up and I was studying, the you know, you didn't have so many choices. Basically, I was in India, and you either chose art, science, or commerce, right? And I said to myself, hey, there's no way I can do arts and science, so I'm going to do commerce. And commerce was something I really enjoyed. I did really, really, I did exceptionally well, right? And uh, I went on to do my chartered accountancy. I finished my chartered accountancy, and I was actually feeling quite dejected because everything about it was post-mortem, right? Whether it's audit, whether it's tax, it's all post-mortem activity. It's not building stuff. And I thought it'd be so much more fun to build stuff rather than do post-mortem activity. I didn't have the means to, again, go out and do an MBA, right? So I decided to do an MBA on the job. And therefore, I joined the nascent consulting world in India. And the nascent consulting world in India was actually quite fascinating. It was a lot of World Bank projects, which we were kind of helping them modernized management systems. My last client was Citibank. Citibank came to Air Ferguson and said, we are looking for a CFO. Uh, Can you help us? And I was working on that thing and I went across literally the next building, David. We were in Indian Express. They were in Air India building. I went across to present the kind of candidates that we had found for the CFO. Before I could come back, the country head of Citibank had called the, uh, the country head of Ferguson and said, not for the CFO job, but we really like this guy. We want to hire him. Wow. Right. And that started the journey on financial services. And Citibank Consumer was just starting off at that point in time. It was crazy, but it was the best fun time I think I've had in my career. That's amazing. So you you got to be really careful what meetings you go to, right? You end up uh, you end up working at an organization for uh, for a little while off the back of that one. That's exactly what happened at Pagaya, right? Barclays talked to me about Pagaya, my team in Delaware. I met the CEO, and the CEO said, "Hey, when are you going to come and join us?" And I said, "Man, why not?" <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's interesting. Like you say, if you if you can sort of think about those opportunities and say why not, right? Then it's a it's a thing that uh, you can work out. But uh, I mean, at Barclays as well, and as you say, you you sort of spent um, eleven years there in terms of your your career, um, seeing different changes across the the organization, and as you say, from a you know financial crisis two thousand and eight to to here, you know, there's a lot of change in that period of time with different, you know, different CEOs, different focuses, different uh, problems that you're, fa- you know, you faced into for for customers. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, you know, because as you said earlier on, the the industry is changing so quickly. No, no year is the same in terms of the problems that you're really solving, even though the banking industry is is relatively static. So, David, it's an incredible, it's an, I mean, I look back and it's kind of incredible. I joined Barclays early 2010, 
very early 2010 we had just got across the financial crisis and what became very evident very soon was that we were short on capital and you would remember that barclays did the largest ever rights issue the largest ever rights issue ever done 4 billion pounds right over the 10 year journey we went from being short of capital under capitalized being forced to do a rights issue right to at the end of the 12 years uh, literally we did stock buyback okay along the way along the way just one number we paid out about 10 billion pounds in ppi claims we settled libor we settled the qatari uh, financial kind of thing right I, i can go on and on and on so the amount of legal and regulatory stuff that we pushed us pushed aside cleaned up cleared you know got our way out of uh, was incredible so that just that journey on how you build a bank and make it like you know uh, really really strong from a capital point of view why that was so important was there there was also a lot of load david because you know you think of it you're joining a 325 year old institution right i mean you're joining a 325 year old institution one of the things i really drove and i tried to drive very hard at barclays is this core value of stewardship right because look when you've got something which is 325 years old you don't want it going wrong on your watch you want to leave it in a much better place so that somebody else can come take it on and take it to better things and therefore making sure that you're making the organization fit and appropriate for the time coming was the other thing which really really drove me and in many ways kept me awake at night right and that's why that relentless focus on execution digitization meeting customer needs then 2012 we had a huge change in the regulatory environment the pra fca if that was you know small we built the largest ever bank we created the ring fence bank david the regulators of course required us to build a ring fence bank but extricating a bank from within a bank and trying and creating it as a stand alone bank changing sort codes establishing its own capital building its own board and you know doing all of that while still keeping the running business running was an incredible thing and in all of this david i went through six i promise you i went through six group ceos wow right and therefore trying to maintain the focus and maintain and by the way most of the uh, six group ceos uh, most of them were investment bankers which makes sense for a company like barclays but trying to convince them on what the retail model is and how it should work right luckily i was lucky that they all kind of eventually got it and they were eventually supportive but you can just see the the number of kind of things that we had to do and you know everybody talks about the transformation of the business but look at the other kind of things that you have to kind of deal with as you kind of get there yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it the the sort of uh the things along the sides of the road as you're as you're sort of going down that road in in that sense and every every different ceo has a a different agenda or a different strategy and you know those ripples of that out in that in that way i, I think one thing that um 
you know, we'll get back to financial services in a second, but one thing that I've always seen very consistent from you and actually, you know, from the outpouring of, uh, of, of love, really, the emotion that from people when you were leaving Barclays was, you know, not just what you've done, but the way you went about it. Um, your point on stewardship in terms of the role and the, the importance of that role, you seem to have a real sense of, of um, doing business in the right way, which, you know, whether it was... Cy Khan on LinkedIn or Matt Hammerstein or, you know, all of the people in Barclays genuinely feel like they miss you, which is a, that's a, that's a nice feeling in that sense, right? So David, I'm, you cannot believe how deeply humbled I felt. I completely, completely, uh, I'm a believer that no one person can make all these kind of changes happen. I was blessed to have a fantastic team. I was blessed that I could count the team, not only as a team of professionals, but a lot of them have become like my closest friends. So whether I'm in New York, whether I'm in London, whether I'm elsewhere, whether they're elsewhere, we stay in touch. Uh, you know, we meet often, we laugh about the good times, and uh, all of us just had an incredible run. What can one say? I'm, you know, I feel truly, truly, truly blessed. What would be the advice for... Uh, you know, banking executives to to create those types of relationships because I mean that's not easy. But and, and a lot of people, you know, I, I've never heard you raise your voice in a in a in a big sense. I'm sure you must have a a temper at some point. Everybody does, but 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 actually the the idea of maintaining relationships all the way through in that way in that career and in all of the different people that you've touched in that how, how do you go about doing that what's the what's the consistency you bring to it what's the what's the values so david let me first start by saying i'm very lucky uh you know it kind of worked out really nicely i'm enough i'm sure i've even pissed off a lot of people along the way <laughs> uh, so i don't want to claim to be some kind of guru uh, but having said that, you know, uh, I think if you keep some kind of principles in mind, right, the customer is a North Star, right? The customer is the North Star, right? Constantly focusing on that. And two, you know, I, sincere, I sincerely believe that everyone, you, David, me, everyone has a whole bunch of strengths, a whole bunch of weaknesses, right? It's really me as maybe the hiring manager, to find opportunities that allow you to bring your biggest strengths to the table. And if I'm not being able to do that, it is equally my fault as it is yours, right? And ultimately, it's all about people, right? I mean, you are a person, you're a human being, right? So even if the role is not working out or whatever, that doesn't, that maybe that's not for you. That doesn't make you a bad person or a good person. That's not what defines how a person is. So treating people with dignity, treating people with a lot of respect, laying down and saying, look, this is the outcome. This outcome is not the desired outcome, right? You know that. I know that. Now let's try and find a way that works for you and works for the business. And I think if you do it respectfully, right, it works. Now, like I said, David, right up front, not everything works as beautifully as that. But that's core. I feel, I feel responsible for my team. I feel responsible for my team in any assignment that I've had. I think, you know, when I am, when I'm defining the strategy, when I'm doing stuff, they are investing in me, right? And therefore I owe it to them. 
I owe it to them to give the best I can. Whatever that best is maybe. Maybe it's not enough, but it is my duty to give the best that I can to them. Yeah, and that's that's all that really people can ask for, isn't it? They can't always ask for perfection, but they, they can ask for your best in that way. And it, that for me is, a, again, it's, the, it's the, the attitude that people bring into those things. I, I guess back to, back to your last role at, at Barclays, and maybe this speaks a little bit to the, to the level of change that you've, you've overseen. I mean, your last role was, was Chief Digital Officer. And I mean, does that, does that point to the scale of change that you, you've really seen? I mean, this is a role that probably didn't exist when you joined Barclays in the first instance, but, but points to the scale of transformation that Barclays was, was aiming at, is aiming at in terms of what digital really sort of means to the organization. Is that, do you think that's a, not just a sign of intent, but the, the sign of the scale of change that you've overseen? Oh, absolutely. I think there is a clear recognition at Barclays and elsewhere that, uh, you know, technology uh, and the way it's disrupting the financial services industry is not uh, restricted to any one particular area, right? And having done it in UK consumer, then having done it in consumer broadly, having done it in the corporate bank, you know, I tell you, the challenges are pretty much identical in, uh, in the investment bank, right? What is very interesting, David, is if you if you just picture yourself if you're sitting on a on a beach okay just say you're sitting on an empty beach right on the one end of the beach is you know uh, a checking account uh, you know vanilla checking account uh, kind of thing and right on the other end of the beach is you know fancy derivatives or m and advisory or whatever and the sea is coming in the pace at which the sea is coming in could be different, but the sea is coming in, right? And so in an area like payments, the sea is coming in fast and furious and deep into the beach, okay? In a place like, I don't know, M&A advisory, maybe the pace is not as much as payments, but it's still kind of coming in. And therefore, when you sit across that beach, it's very important to see how that thing is happening. And you'll, you'll just notice it's happening everywhere. And mm -hmm. that connectivity, which we talked about, a little earlier, David, becomes so, so, so important. It leads to incredible amount of opportunity, right? And I think we can get get ahead of that opportunity and really deliver for, for our customers. Yeah, it's amazing to to take that metaphor on. I've uh, I've sat on many a lovely beaches where uh, you know the one minute the waves are lapping at your feet and the next minute they've got in behind you. And uh, and so and and how how do you see that? that shaping out because obviously from an industry perspective i mean we, we you've seen and we've seen and the industry more broadly seen a a, a lot of change but i mean our, our sayings were only one percent finished right the it feels like there's a, so much more to go in 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 front of us for for what that means for customers what that means for organizations so uh, where do you see us sort of getting to in the the future so David, uh, obviously been spending uh, time thinking about uh, thinking about this, right? I think there are two or three uh, big themes that we can talk about, right? My, the first theme is uh, really about whichever way you cut it, money, finance is really a means to an end rather than an end in itself, right? And that is true for the everyday consumer. It is true for the corporate treasurer. It is true for the school governor, right? 
because you want to use money in a way right to achieve a particular end and therefore if you think about what has happened over the last 20 years or whatever the speed at which financial services needs to be delivered has to change quite dramatically right i'm i'm not saying that the, uh, you know advice will disappear in fact i think advice will become even more important but once you get the advice the speed at which things are happening uh, uh, is kind of increasing quite dramatically very interestingly there is quite a shift there's quite a shift between the point of delivery of financial services so you think 25 years ago it was the branch then it became the phone then it became the internet then it became mobile right today it is delivered at maybe the retailer so that's a consumer one right you think about the big hedge funds and stuff like that it's a lot of data that banks kind of provide but the point of contact where it kind of delivers is at the citadel office the apollo office uh, and stuff like that and they are making decisions and actually doing they will interact or they will choose to give their business to those financial institutions that can execute faster and better better means best price execution balance sheet etc 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 so whether it's consumer or whether it is the investment banking side of the house speed and where financial services is delivered is changing changing quite rapidly right uh, so okay so speed can also be things like like settlement times i don't know how long we've lived with t plus two right and i sit on the london stock exchange group board and you know obviously you know uh, on the one hand uh, the lscg does some phenomenal stuff on data right and the acquisition they made of refinitive and how we can use data to do better businesses but a lot of their core of their business is all about settlement right whether that settlement of of uh, equities whether that settlement of you know swaps a whole bunch of settlements that whole thing is based on t plus two right and you wonder why in this day and age also there's t plus two right and you know so that's true of fx why does it take you know 24 hours for money to move from london to new york so this whole notion of speed is a very interesting one and there are a whole bunch of technologies that are actually driving the speed kind of element right the second notion is what we briefly talked about is this breakdown of silos right and i go back you know i go back to you know look at pagaya pagaya is breaking down of consumer debt to capital markets right or fx right uh, you know the investment bank is selling options every single day god knows how much and a consumer who could be given an option to buy euros in march or in june when the consumer goes on holiday what a great uh, it could be such a great benefit uh, to a consumer and therefore the breaking down of these traditional silos between uh, corporate consumer i think is the second kind of dimension that's happening the third dimension is it is a misnomer to think that people don't want advice even the youngsters even the people who are just out of school college and stuff like that they want advice they need to understand they need they may want it in a different way right they may consume material differently but they still need the advice right and therefore advice as an element is going to become even more fundamental but how we cater to that advice how it is packaged how it is delivered right is critical fundamentally fundamentally banks and financial institutions 
are all about risk management. I used to say we are about technology. We are not about technology. We are risk managers at heart. Yeah. Right. And then helping a customer buy a mortgage, that is a risk trade. Right. And, you know, you can see it in the UK today. Right. Had you done a five year fix versus a two year fix. It's a massive risk trade. Definitely. Right. So at the core of it, we are risk managers and how we package that, deliver that, help customers understand that is what the goal is. So I think those are the three big, big trends, uh, David, which I see. Yeah. Uh, which I think will go forward. Uh, it's it's interesting, and and we can uh, we could spend a few hours, I think, unpacking each of those because I mean, particularly on that last one around advice, it's a uh, you know self service in the digital form is is not really what everybody wants from a consumer perspective, and actually, people really want help. You know, they want advice, they want guidance in that sense, in terms of really where they can get to. But uh, but we don't have the time, I'm afraid. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap up pretty soon. We'll we're gonna definitely bring you back to to unpack some more of those things. We, we always like to leave off a little bit with uh, we're all given great advice uh, in, in in sort of our, our careers, but usually there's two or three things that always sort of stick in your brain. Mine are definitely from uh, definitely from my mum in terms of the advice she was sort of used to give me in terms of uh, how to get up and how to keep going in that sense. But is there ever any advice you've been given in your career that that really sticks with you to, to today? I imagine there's a lot of lessons you learned in that shop as well uh, that we can probably unpack at another point. But uh, uh, anything that really sticks with you? So, uh, David, that's, that's an uh, awesome question. And, you know, talk about mother's wisdom because the kind of advice which is, and which is very, very relevant at my age and stage in life is not very different from what your mother is telling you. And that is, you know, I've been told you've got to find a way to stay relevant. And the only way to stay relevant is to keep learning, right? Gone are the days when you could go to school for 20 years and learn enough to keep you going for 50 years. That model is gone, broken, finished. Yeah. You have to stay relevant every single day. And David, like the, the you know this Fin Fin Insider kind of uh, podcast which you do is a great way of staying relevant, right? Uh, and how do you continue to stay relevant? Because that's the only thing that will stop you from stagnating and ultimate death. So therefore, it's really really important stay relevant. Definitely. Keep learning, love learning. That's a, a definitely a good lesson to, to go with. But on that note, I'm afraid we are going to have to wrap up the show today. So Ashok, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you and uh, and your new role as well? Uh, it'll be, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, wanting to keep tabs. LinkedIn is a great place, David. Very, very good. Uh, for me as well, the, it is always LinkedIn. Uh, make sure you follow 11FS on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you can find us. All the cool stuff is always there. And if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and do subscribe to the 11FS YouTube channel where you can always catch up on previous episodes of Spotlight and our Explores videos as well. Thank you so much, Ashok. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're an absolute legend. We'll have you back soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.